Today's reading is from Mark 12. Uh, verse 28 begins. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer as Matthew comes? Lord, we thank you um, that your word is clear, that, that there are two commandments that are um, our highest for us, to love you first with all of who we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, help us hear this word from you. Be with Matthew as he comes and brings the message. Let him speak your words to us and help us to receive them from you, Lord. Give us courage to be obedient. Give us wisdom to know how to apply this message. We ask and we pray this for the sake of your kingdom and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, good morning, Christ City Church. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us and uh, pardon the technical difficulties earlier. We're glad that you stuck with us. It means a lot to me, and matter of fact, it means a lot to um, so many others who are watching alongside of you to know that you're here, that you're tuning in, that you're listening, that you're praying, that you're taking notes, that you're leaving messages and prayers and hopes in the chat. It's just, it's an encouragement, and so I just, I want to say thank you to you. And also, I, I want you to know that um, that I've been praying for you, Justin and I and Andrea and Nikki and Lisa, that we've been praying for these times together that they're meaningful for you as much as they can be given our distance and our ongoing isolation. I, I pray that this morning that despite the distractions that you're able to, to lean into the message and into this service, that you're present and aware and that you're engaged as much as you're able because I believe that God has something to say to you this morning. He has something to say to me and say to all of us together. And so before we, we continue forward, I, I do want to pray again. I want to pray for you as you as you listen, as you gather yourselves, as you um, gather your Bibles and get your communion elements together. Uh, for those of you with young ones, as you as you settle them and get them situated. Uh, and for young folks, uh, teenagers, I, I want to pray for you, too. I know I'm not as suave as YouTubers and gamers, but I want you to know that I'm glad that you're here. Your presence matters. I believe that God has a word for you, too. So let me just pray for us for a moment. God, I thank you for everybody that is tuning in to this stream in this uh, spot right here. God, as they're in their homes or in their living rooms or dining rooms or, or, or watching this in whatever way that they are, God, I pray that you would bless them, that you would meet with them. Holy Spirit, that you would animate this time for them, that you would remind them that you love them and care for them as you continue to woo all of us into deeper relationship with you. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to tell you a little bit, a little something that you may not know about me. I actually, uh, I, I like, I like shopping. I like grocery shopping. 
Uh, I don't know if it's like the sort of the ancient hunter gatherer in me or whatever it is, but, but I appreciate it. I like it. I like, you know, going and seeing what the produce is, see what's up. I like, uh, checking the price of ribs because I want to, you know, I'm, I'm on the hunt there. I like kind of seeing what the new products are, what new spices and, and, and all of that. I, I like uh, kind of walking down the, you know, the cleaning aisle because, you know, I'm a bit of a neat freak. I want to see if there's any new products, kind of keep my kitchen and bathroom fresh. I, I, I like, I appreciate shopping. I like it. I don't like, uh, you know, the self-checkout. Not about that. I, I don't like, matter of fact, I don't like much that's self-automated. I think there's sort of a, a global conspiracy against me with the automation things. Like, I'm not about Siri. Alexa doesn't understand anything that I'm saying. I'm Apple Maps, Google Maps, all of them can't tell me how to get from one place to another. But I like the shopping. I like standing there. I like checking out. The thing is, I, I'm, I, I'm not always on point with it. One time um, we had uh, at the Watson house, we'd ran out of cereal and milk. I'm trying to be a you know good husband. I'm like, babe, I got this. I'll go to the store. I'll get the cereal and milk. We had uh, some friends staying with us, James and Felicia. So we launch out. We go to the grocery store to, to get what we need to do. I get there. I grab, I grab the small shopping basket. I don't get the big one. Uh, and I don't get the little picnic basket because, you know, uh, it's just cereal and milk. So I go, I'm going, I'm doing it. I'm doing my thing. I'm checking the prices. I'm seeing what's what. I'm trying to keep up on the latest of what's happening at the Harris Teeter and what they have to offer. And I'm not sure what happened, but at some point I looked at my small basket and I stand back and I'm actually, I'm actually quite amazed and impressed at what I've got loaded down in this thing. So I snap a picture of it, uh, of what James and I had done. And I text it to Lisa. I got a picture of what I snapped. So I, I want you to, I want you to see it. So uh, you got to pick there. There's what I got. Now, if you can't see everything, let me just sort of give you a rundown. What I have in my basket at this point is I have five gallons of ice cream because it was buy one, get four free. I've got five 12 packs of soda because it was also buy one, get four free. And if you want to know, I had two Coca-Colas. I had one pink lemonade. I had one Sprite and one grape Fanta because that's how I roll. I had one package of Oreos. I had three pork butts, which I barbecued later because the price per pound was good. I have four bags of chips. I had a two liter of ginger ale and I had a thing of hummus. I don't know how the hummus got in there, but that's what it was. What I didn't have in my basket yet was, was cereal and milk. Now, I heard Lisa give me the directions. She told me the list. But when I got to the store, why? Well, I, I mean, I, just, I got a little distracted. Now, eventually we did get what we were supposed to do, but like just barely. I'm standing in line to check out. And then, you know, I think James went and got what we were supposed to get. So it was a successful deal. But I tell you that story to say that there are times where we can hear something, but we don't really hear something. Where we can listen to the instructions and to the information and to the request, but we don't hear them. And this morning, I want us to hear in the biblical sense of the word. In the Bible, to hear, it means to do something, to hear from someone or to hear from the Lord. In the Bible, it always meant that the hearer was prompted to action. And this morning, in this moment, I want us to hear in the biblical sense of the word and in our hearing to be moved to steward that hearing through the living of our lives. So, Lord, give us ears to hear. Um, last week, Justin uh, launched us into a new sermon series for us at Christ City Church, and the series is called Telos, where we're going and how we're going to get there. 
As he mentioned last week, telos is a Greek word that means aim or goal or purpose. And what we want to do in this series is to return to some of our church's anchoring purposes. We want to reflect again on our mission and consider how those anchoring truths continue to serve as faithful moorings for us as a church. This morning, I want to center on one of our anchoring values, that of loving God. And I pray that this value isn't unique to Christ City, but is one that is central to any church that is seeking to point people towards Jesus and to shape people into the ways of Jesus. Despite its ubiquity, a loving God must take center stage in who we are as a church and who we are as a people and who we are as individuals. The passage that was read earlier was from Mark 12, and it's a passage that Justin referenced in last week's sermon. The passage is found in the Gospels of both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in each of the Gospels, it's nearly verbatim as it is in Mark 12. These verses are often referred to as the greatest commandment, and as we'll see in a moment, is a verse that has been central to the Christian faith since Jesus' recitation of it, and also central to the Jewish faith prior to Jesus. So let's look again at Mark 12. Verses 28 through 31 says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. What is, what is happening here is that Jesus is being questioned by teachers of the law or, or Bible scholars of the day. They are attempting to test Jesus' theology. There's uh, some variation in this scene depending on the gospel, But in each of the Gospels, in each telling of this scene, there's a group of religious leaders aiming to challenge Jesus' teaching and Jesus' leadership. In Mark's account, there's been a number of questions that have been put to Jesus by the religious leaders of the day leading up to verse 28, which we just read. In Mark 12, 13, uh, Jesus is being asked questions about his political allegiances and where he stands in relationship to the government and government policies. In verses 18, Jesus is being asked about marriage and what constitutes a marriage. And in other words, Jesus is being grilled on topics that were divisive in his day, even as they're divisive in ours. And yet, it is into that context that a question is asked from what appears to be a genuine seeker. Jesus is asked of, of, of all of the commandments, of all of this that we've been talking about, of all of this debating, what, what's, the, what's the most important this teacher is asking Jesus, given all that's swirling around us in our day and what it means for us as a people of faith to be faithful, Jesus, what's just what's most important? I can almost hear some exasperation in his voice. Where ought we look in the midst of so much that's clamoring for our attention? This is, this is a, it's a relevant question, especially in the Jewish context of the day. There was a tendency within the Jewish tradition of Jesus' day to expand the law into hundreds of laws and thousands of rules and regulations. There were Jewish traditions in that time that identified 613 precepts or laws in the Hebrew Bible. Other traditions that held that there were more, others said there were slightly less. 
But the point was that there was an insurmountable number of laws that a faithful follower was required to keep. There were do's and don'ts, sacrifices to make, purities to keep, an unscalable mountain of religion. And the earnest questioner is asking, of all of this, what's the most important? Jesus responds to the man with a verse that would have dripped with meaning for him and for anyone within earshot. Hear this, Jesus says. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus, he's not making up a response. This isn't extemporaneous speaking that Jesus is doing. He's actually quoting another verse that would have been perhaps the most well-known verse in all of Judaism at that time. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6. The the verses in Deuteronomy, Jesus is quoting, they were called the Shema in the Jewish tradition because Shema means hear. It's the first word in the verse in Hebrew. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Erhad. Shema Israel, the, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. In devout Jewish homes, this verse was recited twice a day and accompanied the recitation of the Ten Commandments. It was a verse as well as a daily liturgy done in Jewish homes as a way of reminding each other of the ongoing invitation to dwell in God's love. Verse 29, Jesus says, the most important one answered Jesus is here, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear it in Deuteronomy. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. As it was recited, it was passed down to children in the home as a way to shape their lives and the souls of young people into the ways of God. Shema means uh, to hear, as in to listen to, but its meaning is fuller than that in Hebrew. It, it means uh, pay attention. It also carries the notion that the hearer is to respond to the hearing, to shema is to ask someone to do something. In the Psalms, for example, when the psalmist writes in Psalm 61, hear my cry, shema my cry, O God, give attention to my prayer. The psalmist isn't simply asking God to listen, but rather they're asking God to act on their behalf. To shema requires action. In the Old Testament, the verbs to listen and to do, they aren't two different words, but they're the same word, Shema. This is why the prophets in the Old Testament, they would chastise Israel when they note that Israel has ears but aren't listening. They aren't practicing Shema. And so Jesus begins his response with the Shema, an exhortation to hear and to respond. The verse goes on to state that the, that the Lord is one. The Hebrew word for one is ahad. It means one as in, as in singular, but also alone as in distinct or unique or singular. And what Jesus is saying to the teacher of the law and to us is that the Lord is God alone. When this passage was first written in Deuteronomy, it was written into a polytheistic culture, and consequently, the Shema is a declaration that God isn't simply one among a pantheon of other gods, but that the God of Israel is God alone, is unique and distinct. As theologian Cheryl A. Brown notes, to say that God is one is not a quantitative designation, but qualitative. 
God is one in God's essence. God is not more than or better than, but altogether different from all of creation and all of the gods. It is this uniqueness of God that then ushers in the call to love God. As a side note, it's also this uniqueness of God that calls forth our requirement to love our neighbor, those who, like us, are made in the image of this one unique, unmatched maker. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Jesus would continue in Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Just a, a quick note for those that are following closely. Jesus, um, in each of the Gospels, he lists loving God with our heart and soul, uh, strength and mind. And Deuteronomy, mind isn't listed, just heart and soul and strength. It was added later as a point of translation and contextualization. See, in ancient Hebrew culture, the understanding for heart included one's passions uh, or emotions, as well as one's intellect. There wasn't a separation between emotion and thought. And in this sense, when the first Hebrew hearers heard heart, they knew that that meant one's affections and one's intellect. However, within ancient Greek contexts, emotions and thought were separated out. The heart, for Greeks, it wasn't the metaphor for thought as it was in the Hebrew understanding. So in the Old Testament, it was translated, and in, in, including the Shema, when they were translated into Greek, in order to capture the fullness of what was originally being communicated, mind was added. And so it is this Greek translation of the Hebrew text of Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting and Mark is writing down. So when Jesus is saying to the seeker in Mark 12 and to us today, what he's saying is that what is most important is to love God with all of who you are. God invites you to, to love him with each aspect of what makes you you. Verse 30, I love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with, with all your strength. What is being communicated there is that whatever it is that you're passionate about, love God with those passions. That which has captured your affections, love God with those. The things that, that, that occupy your thoughts and your attention, well, let those things come under the loving canopy of God and your life, the the strength and life that courses through your body will love God in a bodily embodied way. Now we could spend a lot of time dissecting these metaphors, each of the avenues through which we are to love God of heart and mind and soul and strength. And that's a noble task. But the thing that I think is, is perhaps um, maybe we should highlight the most is the repeated phrase in verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all with all your heart, with all your mind, with all, with all. I, I think that's actually the more challenging component of the invitation, if we're honest. I'm okay to love God with part of those things. But Jesus is calling us as followers. What, he, what he's demanding of us as followers is that we are to love God with all of who we are. Now, uh, I've been watching uh, some old West Wing episodes on Netflix recently. Some of you I know are... Um, West Wing fans as well. I'm still in the first season. I just rewatched the episode where one of the characters, C.J. Craig, is invited to join the presidential campaign for Jed Bartlett, the main protagonist of the show who becomes president. At the time, C.J. is making like six, like a six-figure salary as a communi communications director for some Hollywood firm, and 
So she's being asked to leave that job and to join an effort. Well, she'll get like a monthly stipend of like a few hundred bucks. And there's no guarantee that the candidate's going to win. But she says yes to that invitation. And from there, she begins to reorient her entire life around this campaign. When she begins, she's, she's not the most familiar with the candidate, uh, with his positions or character or even his vision for America. But, but as the story unfolds, CJ's passions for the candidate grow. Her affections for the vision grow and she continually marshals her intellect and her, uh, her connections for the sake of this candidacy. She exhausts her life and strength and wagers her livelihood on the possibility of an election. I think some of you, uh, I know that some of you know what that's like, that you have become captivated by a vision of what can be of what could be or what should be, a vision for your life or for your family or for our country. And you've ordered your heart and your soul and mind and strength in such a way as to communicate your passion for that vision, your love for that possibility. What Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning is that those pursuits, as noble as many of them may be, are to be at best secondary to loving God with all of who we are. I think that this morning Jesus stands before us and he says to us the same that he said to that first questioner. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Christ City. Hear, Justin, Antonio, Lisa, Sam, Kent, Josh, Chelsea, Chuck, Easy, Casey, Nicole, Matthew, Masprito, Moore, Vicky, David, Nathan, Mike, Sarah, Tom. Here, O church, the Lord is one. God is not content to be one of the Lord is one. The invitation for some of us today is to abandon the things that have taken the place of God in our lives so that those things might find their rightful place in our lives and so that God's love for us and our love for him might find its rightful place of primacy in our lives. Perhaps for some of us, the invitation is to love God with all of who we are. We've been loving God with parts and portions of our heart, with a percentage of our souls and minds and some of our strength, but God is inviting us into deeper and a fuller walk with him. God is inviting us to abandon halfway living, to embrace a life lived in the fullness of God's love for us and our love for him. I pray that today that we as a church and that we as a people and each of us receives this invitation extended to us from Jesus to fully love God and to experience the fullness of God's love through Christ so that from this anchoring place of God's love, we are then able to love our world with God's resounding pray this morning that we would continue to say yes to the Lord and to his invitations. I pray for us. God, I pray that, that we have ears to hear and that we would hear in the rightful ways that hearing requires. God, I pray that um, even as we um, hear and heed the call to love God, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't fall into the religious response that we just have to work harder to do that. That's not your way. But that yours is the way of surrender. So God, I pray that even 
as we consider what it means to say yes to this invitation, I pray that we would continue to know that it's, a, it's an invitation to say yes to you again and ever and always. So God, I pray we would hear that we would receive and that we would love you deeply and passionately because you have first loved us that way. I pray these things in Christ's name.